So how, on God's gray earth, did this... Southern man better keep your head. Don't forget what you're good And this... Sing the song because I love the man. I know that some of you don't understand. Milk, blood to keep from running out. And even this... Become this. to Detours and Outliers, the podcast where we take a closer look at that one album in an artist's discography that sticks out like a sore thumb. Maybe their best album, it may be their worst album, but either way, it's that one album where the artist was so preoccupied with whether or not they could, they didn't stop to think if they should. This week on the panel we have... Logan Reynard, Matthew Marr. And my name is Scott Livingston. Uh, just a quick reminder, we're on Twitter at DOutliers. We're on uh, Instagram. We have a Facebook group. We have a website. And we have an email address if you want to send us any comments, suggestions, um, nude photos, whatever. Um, we also ask that... You take a minute to rate and review and subscribe to us. Give us a six-star review on whatever podcasting application you happen to have. Anyway, this week we will be discussing <clears throat> Neil Young's Trans album. Uh, the first album in Neil's uh, foray with Geffen Records, which will probably become a uh, multi-part series over the course of this podcast, but... Uh, this album was released December 29th, 1982, and I guess, um, general thoughts on Neil Young. I mean, what's he like? Who is he? What's he normally sound like, I guess, is the question. Uh, well, Neil's great. Um, I think now that we're, like, headed back into, uh, you know, n early 90s grunge nostalgia, I think it's important to say that Folks like Neil Young and uh, uh, um, like the James Gang and things like that kind of did that before, yeah. You know, uh, the grunge people got credit for it. So Neil's a bit of a, a interesting trailblazer musically as a songwriter and a you know, band leader and stylist. Yeah. Well, and certainly Neil is a 
uh, a folky, right? Like it's a lot of, yeah. um, you know, acoustic strumming kind of... Um, heart of gold. Uh, kind heart of, of gold, yeah. Cre- uh, you know, creaning kind of uh, very emotive music. But he's also been known for his electric guitar work. Um, even there, however, it was always very raw and very yeah. real. And, and even though you're playing through an amplifier, it nonetheless had a, had a, uh, an immediacy to it, as yeah. if there were actual people playing instruments all the time. Yes. And I think, uh, I'm not sure what the album immediately preceding this album was, Yeah. but his, um, his work with Crazy Horse, which was a loud rock and roll band, but very much in the grunge model before grunge existed. Yeah, proto-grunge. I mean, Neil gets a lot of credit for being very varied in his career, but he mostly has the two styles where he's acoustic, sort of country-ish, twangy guy, or he's, you know, proto-grunge with the flannel and inspiring Pearl Jam. Just consider the difference between Crosby, Stills, and Nash and Crosby, Stills, and Nash, and Young. Yeah. And it's like, that's... that's (laughs) Yeah, it's the difference between playing the Pepsi Center and the Fillmore. (laughs) Yeah. As it were. But, um... Yeah, so while Neil may not be as varied as he has often given credit for, just because he has two styles as opposed to, um, it's these Geffen years that are really interesting because he did end up getting sued by his record label for not sounding enough like Neil Young. Right, and and uh, um, I wouldn't say justifiably so. So perhaps uh, yeah. you know Geffen Records should have vetted Neil Young a little better than they did. Yes. Nonetheless, uh, he was guaranteed what was it, one million dollars a record? Yep, and complete creative control, which <laughs> did neither one of those actually came to pass. So you know, not surprisingly, Neil left his contract as soon as that was completed. Um, apparently, actually, the first record he turned in for Geffen Records was something called Island in the Sun which is supposed to be like water-themed, it was all recorded in Hawaii, and Geffen said, eh. And so, as a result, Neil took the second album he was working on, which was this electronic trance thing, and just put those tracks on there. So that's why there's like three that sound normal and five that don't, because he wasn't done with the electric one. But Geffen didn't like his normal one, so... (laughs) He's like, well, you, you think you hate that. Let me tell you what else we got. <laughs> I think that may be part of the, the problem with the album is it wasn't done. Or it's two albums in one. or Yeah, Yeah, there's definitely stuff in my notes where I'm like, oh, there's like a regular Neil song. Yeah. there's like For some reason. Three tracks. In to... fact, there was supposed to be four. The, when you buy the original pressing so... of the record, there's like another song listed on the lyrics. <clears throat> that didn't actually make it. That so can, can we just? I mean, uh, I like this. I like this record a lot. Yeah, it's it's really good. It's really interesting. But uh, it sounds like Bad Devo. Yeah, he he did actually make a movie with Devo. Yeah, I was just looking that up. Yeah, the Human Highway came out. I, I imagine they're concurrent. 82, yeah, eighty. There's some I'm not some sure overlap yet. or yeah, that's a uh, influence. Yeah, stealing. I don't know. Yeah, sorry, Neil. Well, let's see that and craft. Work. It was it was the time period. Yeah, I mean, the synth synth pop was was coming to fruition, <clears throat> yeah. or or new wave, whatever you want to call it. And and uh, I don't think um, Neil Young was never never um, previously he was never known to be a bandwagon jumper. But we don't really know that he'd always been in popular bands. Yes, you know, so with he the, never uh, had to fight to 
jump on the bandwagon because he was already there. But right with the uh, what was it, the Buffalo Springfield? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and certainly with Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young, yeah. you really can't get any bigger than that. No. Well, okay. So the the main the main offenders on this album, sonically, which yeah. you know, interestingly enough, the, the band is it's Crazy Horse. It's like the Ringers. Nils Lofgren does yeah. most of the stuff on here. It's the his two bass players that he's had that you know it's played nice. on the classic Neil. Awesome girl and roots rocky stuff. It's it's that band, and so uh, technic you know technologically speaking. So the the Lynn LM one drum machine, which you know Prince used the living shit out of on uh, Purple Rain and pretty much all of his records. Um, a very it was state of the art. It was state of the art. Um, I think it still sounds great. Yeah, and uh, I forget which model. It was a Sennheiser uh, uh, VSM. 201 vocoder and yeah. those i mean other than that and there's a, a resident uh, zappa expert yeah. here there's synclavier on here yes. for some reason where yeah it's uh, could yeah. you which song yeah which song well well this this synclavier it it is um <laughs> it, it could be all over it yeah, really. yeah. yeah i mean you, you you're not know. you're not for sure because the synclavier was uh, essentially it was a device to do what has become the norm today you make short recordings of things like you know samples as we say and then and then you're able to replay them in in a sequenced manner manner however you want to so so you're abandoning you're abandoning um synthesis per se but you're using you're using um you know computer technology to be able to um play samples of real instruments or fake instruments yeah um however however you want to do it in in real time as well as then because they are now in the electronic realm, you can mess with them as much as you want. Yes, they're much more manipulatable. However, it was very, very expensive. Well, and and speaking of Crazy Horse, apparently they <laughs> did record this album, but they're not on the album. They went in, recorded, then Neil went and erased everything they did and replaced it with all these synths and vocoders and drum machines. So... When Crazy Horse heard the album, they were um, less than thrilled. Apparently, there, I think there's—I don't know—we'll we'll listen to the tracks, but it seems like there's a lot of real instrument stuff on here as well, and I, yeah. I think that's why the the vocoder and the little bit of synth stuff and the the drum machine sounds so out of place because yeah, it sounds—it it sounds like what you're saying, like they had a a, a killer rootsy rock and roll you know, gut bucket rock and roll thing going on, but they canned the drummer and replaced it with this thing that goes like, (laughs) and it's pretty, it is, it is odd. Well, do we want to dive into the first track then? It's a little thing called love. think well that sounds like a typical neil young song what are we doing re- reviewing this album 
Um, yeah, that that song definitely seems um, um, very typical of Neil Young, although a little a little more peppy, yeah, a little more a... happy, and um, um, maybe even flower powery than yeah. he had done in recent years. You know, it's a little different than than um, I would hey hey my my that yeah, sort yeah. of thing. Be shocked to find out it was not used in a car commercial. Yeah, you know? yeah. Yeah, that was one of the uh, tracks left over from the Island in the Sun sessions, and those were all done in Hawaii, so he may have been rather having a good time when he made that album. Um, we'll listen to the other two Island in the Track songs later, but yeah, this is a pretty straightforward, like a lot of bongos, a lot of slide guitar. And so what do you suppose, if you were if you were a Neil Young fan, and say well, we're not a regular reader of some critical magazine like yeah. Rolling Stone, and you happen in the record store, and you back when they had record stores, and you pull out um, the latest Neil Young album, you get home and put this on, your reaction might be, oh, this is going to be great. Yeah, or at least this is slightly better than the last album, which was called Reactor, which did not go over so well, primarily because Neil was um, had a son with cerebral palsy, and he was in a special school, and because of that, he was only had certain hours that he could record, and otherwise he had to be at the school tending to his son. So Is that a Geffen record? No, that was the last one. On okay, Reprise. so this is, this is the first of the yeah. Geffen. Okay, yeah, yeah. But Reactor, because he had to, you know, record from like 8 a.m. till noon. That was the hours he had. He had to wake Crazy Horse up at an insane hour for them, and yeah. that's why that album... Musicians are famously yeah. alert. Well, particularly Crazy Horse, which was, you know, all coked out and hopped up on the needle and the damage. Um, uh, allegedly. Yeah. But also... Probably. Yeah, well, yeah, but also... Allegedly, and that didn't one of them die? Yes, yes. Yeah. That was... Yeah, Tonight's the Night was a whole album about, like, one of the roadies and yeah. overdosed. And so, yeah, they were not real thrilled about, you know, getting up at 10 a.m. on a school night and recording. So that's kind of why the last album didn't do so well, or at least that's the excuse they used, but um, we'll get more into uh, Neil's son later because he, uh, oddly enough, figures prominently into the reason why this album sounds why it does, maybe. But let's listen to the next track, which maybe won't be as Neil Young-esque. Guys, remember that movie Tron? Yeah. <laughs> when did Tron yes. come out? Probably the same time. Yeah. I don't very, remember. Very, very, and that, that in War Games was, yeah. was roughly around the same period. Ooh, you've got computers. With I would like, not like to play a game. That's the first thing I thought too. Is like, how did how did that particular sound become associated with computers? As, yeah. I mean, I guess I guess probably the, early arcade games where they had to synthesize this weird. Music with analog hardware and the palette of sounds and yeah. the way you could arrange it was very limited. So, but so woof. Yeah, was Neil living in the computer age in the eighties, or did he have any idea what he was up against? 
And maybe, you know, maybe there's some kind of uh, prophecy going on there. But yeah. but actually, by what <clears throat> what year was this album? 81? 82. 82. So 82. I'm trying to think that, uh, you know, uh, Radio Check with the TRS-80 and Apple with the Apple II and all of that. Those started coming out in... in uh, um, uh, into the popular world in yes. the late 70s and so this really was the beginning of the computer age in terms of american popular culture yeah yeah and and uh, certainly with the movies you know like tron and like um yeah war games it um it become um uh, you know a source of um inspiration creative inf- inspiration this idea of what what could technology bring us yeah where are we headed well this is the the first of many very gratuitous uses of the 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 Sennheiser uh, vocoder. Yes, and, uh, a vocoder. You know, they were actually developed in the '30s as a way to uh, compress audio for uh, phone phone lines, and uh, but um, you can you can use them to uh, make the the sibilance of speech follow a, a musical pitch on a keyboard or yeah. another instrument, and so you get this. I mean, take that, T-Pain. Yeah, pre-auto-tune. Yeah. yeah. Although it does bring up another question. What is Neil saying? Because it's very hard to understand him with that thing. I, I understood all of it. Well, that's... <laughs> Some people are better at you that. You just don't speak. I you don't just speak can't communicate computer. with the machines. I am not a robot. Good, good luck in the upcoming <laughs> robot wars, Scott. Well, there we go. <laughs> well, shall we... Press on to We Are In Control. in control uh well neil i mean this one sets up a a theme that i'm not sure it was established you know so much in the last song but uh neil is uh, not a big fan of um uh, computers and stuff there's a, a pretty profound distrust for skynet or whatever yeah. he has going on well, here for someone who distrusts computers he's using <laughs> yeah, a heck of a lot of them on here i'm not quite sure maybe he has become part of the borg here and that's why he, it's we are in control and not you are in control or they are in, we control. Are in control. Yeah. It is fairly fascinating in that you know perhaps it was just the the state of the technology but there is there is um uh, despite all appearances there there is um definitely um people playing instruments. Yes. Yeah. It seems to be this melding of um of you know the computer technology with his more traditional um rock band kind of stuff yeah and and sometimes it works to, together very very well uh, i think i think um some of it might have been out of necessity or like you were saying perhaps they were just um trying to make something out of songs that that didn't pass the mustard before yeah mm-hmm. yeah well listening to the other non-computer tracks i could see him going back and slapping some computer stuff on there too to try and boost them because they're you know well adequate but lacking so what matt was saying you know i hate to keep comparing this one to you know this album to devo but um 
you know, Devo did it really well in a particular period where you have this almost all synthesized thing and then you have, you know, Bob Mothersbaugh coming in with twangy Chuck Berry licks. Yeah. And it, it sounds, there's a really cool contrast there. And that comes up a lot on this record, you know, and, uh, you know, with the, the, the drum machine and vocoder heavy songs. Uh, it doesn't always work. <laughs> no, no. It's, well, the thing is, it sounds cool at first. It, it, they, the technology hadn't developed to the point where there was a lot of um, range. So, right. That's why you get the the drum beat starts. It's the same yeah. tempo. Yeah. It's clonking along, and you better you, better you like, like that. it or lump it. You're you better like feeling. that tempo. Um, one thing that uh, I'm sure they didn't do that on here, but with the LM1. Um, you can sequence a drum beat to just go dump, 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 dump at a particular tempo. And you can actually sit down and go press the buttons and make them, you know, manually, manually play it. And, um, uh, the purple rain album is, you know, famous for that drum machine and a bunch of other Prince stuff. Prince actually sat down and live performed this drum beats one part at a time to yeah. impart some, Humanity, humanity, yeah, or at and, least and variation. This, and yeah, exactly, this yeah. Well, and you know, perhaps, perhaps ironically, <clears throat> you, today, um, you, it's very difficult. Uh, the state of pop music today, when you look at, um, um, you know, um, big releases, yeah, even even when it it all sounds like real instruments, organic, acoustic, organic, whatever. acoustic uh, the, you know, most likely it is playing played by a computer or, they, or it they, is they being, didn't hire the, the, right. the chamber musicians. To right. Play it, it's yeah. been manipulated by, by a computer yeah. in some way. And, and there's even more um, rigidity to it. And, yeah. and I think that there's an awful lot of, um, uh, and for good or for ill, you don't really know yeah. if it's bad or not. I, I suppose it's a matter of taste, but everything is so, so um, perfect. Yes. Even mistakes are perfectly calculated in where to place them in, into um, into yeah. a song. Um, it becomes um, um, very very rigid. Yes. In the same way that I think, looking backwards, or, or rather at the time, trans was was criticized for. Yeah. And in a way, even songs like this seem to have more humanity. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Well, Neil, as a you know guitarist and a musician. Kind of, you know, he's one of the main uh, purveyors of the noise guitar, you know. Yeah, he is. Noise guitar solo. Oh, which I, I, I forgot about the, um, is it uh, Computer Age? The last song, uh, Sonic Youth, does a pretty awesome cover of, uh, and there's a pretty direct line to that. And so it is interesting that the guy who's famous for willingly throwing a big clam in the middle of a, a high stakes guitar thing and leaving it there if not emphasizing it is is con contrasted with this thing that relentlessly goes clonk 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 at a yeah at a never varying <laughs> tempo until you're yeah electricity <laughs> well neil's been a southern man and an old man but let's hear neil be a transformer man
enjoyed the backing vocals. Indeed. So what is a Transformer, man, Scott? It's, it's more than meets the eye. The, um, uh, the Transformers cartoon, uh, what came out, like in 1984, eight, I think. Yeah, yes. So they uh, owe Neil some Definitely. royalties, you know. Neil is Optimus Prime. That's right. It all makes sense. Whoa. Yeah. No, <laughs> no, apparently when Neil turned this record over to Geffen, his idea was to have a video for all of these songs that would explain the whole sci-fi, you know, Mr. Roboto, Kilroy was here concept they had behind the album. And who the Transformers are, and who the computer cowboys are, and who the Sinclavier, you know, who's in control, and who's, yeah, but, and a... What's I, not to know from the cover art? I know. Yeah. Well, apparently, <laughs> Neil just announced that he is still making those videos. They're supposed to come out next year. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> Some animated computer videos for, so we'll have to touch back when those are actually available, but that is something. I take back everything bad that I've said <laughs> so far. Everything you critical. Neil Young, roll out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is. It is curious. Uh, you know, it's almost as if, and, and perhaps you know, you know, when we talk a bit more about his motivation for making this album in the first place, yeah. um, it is. It is kind of curious that when you listen to a song like this, and wasn't this a, a song a hit of sorts? Like a, it was the biggest song on there he actually redid it when he did mtv unplugged he did a version of this song. Did a version of it and and it is it is um it, it's it's almost as if there is a song in there that you can't quite hear and yeah. it's not just the vocals it's it's you know you have those i mean it's not just the lead vocals with yeah. the vocoder you also have those those background vocals hinting around in there yeah. and, and it seems like there is uh, unlike the previous song where it was pretty clear with those guitar fills what yeah. the what the whole song was yeah if you were going to play it uh, right this one this one is right if you picked up an acoustic guitar it would be difficult to figure out where where it is yeah. where is the song in, in this in and this i think song. it's cuz there's almost no guitar on this track at all really so, this is almost all since this one one is the first one that I and it's going to come up again but in my notes I have a real problem with the tempos on this album there this one's just north of 100 beats per minute so it's too fast to really be like kind of gut bucket groovy kind of thing like stomp your foot yeah and it's too slow to be to comfortably dance like what are you supposed to do with this yeah this song? isn't a ballad it's, it's a, a little yeah, bit lullaby. Un, unnerving in the it's it and there are other songs on this album that are in this tempo window where it's what what am i supposed to do maybe the drum machine he bought only had the one EPM <laughs> setting and he was just sort of stuck with that it's like <clears throat> well okay 108 that's what we're going for but yeah so that's yeah that's a I mean, this is this is the heavy cocaine '80s, man. You think he would turn it up? Oh yeah, ten or fifteen beats per minute, and people would be dancing. Well, you know, you a lot know, of people were going in for the um, um, dancing their asses off to this thing. But, yeah, you know, for the the surgery for the deviated septum or, or hole in the septum kind of thing. So yeah. Maybe, uh, Maybe the cocaine has this, this waned is, a bit. Um, this is the the doctor's doctor's office uh, uh, lounge music and the uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, they're transforming there. And speaking of transformers, I think uh, Three Jane is telling us we need to listen to the next song. Okay, this one this one's about cowboys. It's a computer cowboy.
that was on the Buckaroo Banzai uh, soundtrack, right? Yippee tie yo, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that that song um, definitely. I mean, the Sinclair is present there. Yeah, you can, you can definitely hear a lot. <laughs> Interesting synthesis sounds, and and uh, I, I would say that about this song, as far as just the uh, the, the 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 timbre, yeah. and the um, uh, the colors of the various synth sounds were were more creative in this one than, than yeah. the previous is, ones. Is this this is the first one that has mostly synthesized stuff that is really as dense, right? Yeah, like it, is, it is a dense. lot. There are more than, you know, one or two synthesizer parts going on simultaneously. Yeah. And it's cool, I like it. Yeah. Plus you got the little clip clop of the, the well, horse's hooves. Those are the actual uh, coconuts from the Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Uh, and you got they, that whip crack. They paid a yeah. fortune for that. <laughs> Whip it good. That's yeah, we're back to Devo. Yeah. Well, what what's Bernie Worrell up to right now? Like they couldn't have got him in here to make some cool, yeah, some cool like swirly, yeah. The not... Wizard of Woo couldn't have. What was the, so? Who is uh, the the um, Neil Young? Obviously, is is in charge of this project, but yeah. they, they bring in. Um, um, Nils Lofgren. Nils Lofgren. Yeah. And and uh, but I assume that he must have had a big hand in the production of this whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let me see who actually produced this. If I have that written down, it was technically produced by Neil Young, Tim Mulligan, and David Briggs. So hmm. I I don't know, hmm. but um, I think David Briggs has been producing with Neil Young for years. But I don't know who this David Mulligan guy is. Maybe he's the right. And production is a is a a very Odd position, anyway. You're, yeah. you're never quite sure what the producer Who's is in charge. actually yeah. doing. Um, nonetheless, you know, ultimately, the job of the producer is to get the project done. Yes, right? and and uh, and hopefully, you know, from the record company perspective, have something that's very saleable. Which uh, I can't imagine what Geffen was thinking at this point. He's like, well, but they put this out, and they didn't put Island in the Sun out, so maybe they thought it was a good idea so they must have they must have had uh, Neil must have had total uh, creative control but but maybe not final say on what gets released is this, yeah is this a colossal fuck you for not putting out that other one that there has been some speculation yeah, on that, that. And, and the next couple of Neil albums are more obvious in that vein I mean after this one they say well you need to do a more acoustic album so he gives them this like hardcore country album like no no we meant rock so he gives them this doo-wop you know oldies album at which point the lawsuit came down <laughs> yeah so it uh, is like a well, this, awesome right <laughs> this is my favorite part of of neil's career honestly because it is so nuts and, and unexpected in a lot of yeah. ways right and and um you know at the same time you know he he has definitely has um what is that that um that phrase of the uh the the um po the politician without integrity it's like you must have plausible deniability yeah, exactly well if you say you want a rock album well what is rock music it's what happened in the fifties yes right? so and that is definitely what that album turned yeah. into but um well flipping over this record we would be on side two now with a uh, hold on to your love.
my notes state this is a pretty cheesy freaking song. Yeah, it's very, it's very happy. It's very it's pleasant. <laughs> it sounds to me a lot like um, something that could have come out of the the '60s world of popular music. Yeah, you know where you had the the you know the more psychedelic stuff coming out on one hand but you still had all of the um pop right happy so you know donovan cover herman hermits <laughs> kind yeah, of thing yeah. you know and and uh um and and actually yeah herman's hermits kind of does come to mind with yeah. that sort yeah. of thing you know the happy um vocal yeah um i mean even though the lyrics hold on to your love are i guess you know somewhat pessimistic or negative but um it is not a, a sad song by any stretch. And the cheesiness does does really come through with the piano part as well. It's almost something that could be that you would find on a home organ or something that um, Yeah. Well this does yeah. directly demonstrate what the difference is between an electric piano and a synthesizer going from, you know, well, computer age to this ding 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 ding. This is all I mean, this is the band back again, right? Yeah. Was, is this, this a this is a tune off of the This must Island be the Hawaii. The, yeah, the Hawaii yeah, band. Okay, yeah. yeah. yeah that sounds so. like it. Well, the tempo's back up. It's a, it's not screaming, but it's a little bit more peppy, and it, it does make you wonder why the drum machine tracks are not... I mean, why they're not quite dirgy, but just, yeah. like, why they couldn't, like, go on a, ground, li- yeah. like, a little bit... At least gone one way or the other. It's yeah, like, yeah. Either up or down. Just, mm-hmm. just pick a direction, but yes. Um, I don't know. Yes. That's... So. Yeah, the, another outlier um, in the outlier. So we'll go on to a sample and hold. Listening at home on a CD or streaming service, um, that song's like eight minutes long. However, if you're listening on vinyl, it's only five minutes long because they ran out of time on the space of the record. And I'm not really sure what that last three minutes adds since it's all new design, new design for three minutes at the same tempo. So don't don't forget sample and hold. Sample and hold. <laughs> so, yeah, once again, there there's some creative synth stuff going on in here. Yeah. Uh, uh, so that's there's you know there's it is uh, enjoyable on that on that level. Yeah. You know that and and again it is, and you know I suppose there's a there's a it's a certain amount of novelty, but just the idea of you know grungy Neil doing this. Yeah. You know adds adds an element of of. Um, um, you know, and I know that grungy is anachronistic, but we still we've already established him. Yes. Yeah. He was, yeah, Godfather or grandfather of grunge, whatever, whatever, yeah, title we wish to give him, but but it's um, it's certainly it certainly it certainly is it's something that I would want to hear. Yeah, it, it's it's not something you hear every day or really anywhere else but this album. But that that super bit crushed guitar line is awesome. That is that, that is very Neil. That is very it's very Neil. And there's a tour, uh, in the outro. Short or long version. There's yeah. a there's some really good melding of this kind of relentless, uh, you know, robot overlord stomping and uh, a, a, you know, twangy Neil guitar. Yeah. 
like fuzzy guitar. It's it's a good. There's like a, a interesting, and that's a real Neilism too. Yeah, he yeah. has that sound that he's had since you know Buffalo Springfield, really. Yeah, I don't know. Whatever, that's one. It's okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Shall we move on then? Um, <clears throat> next up, we got speaking of old young uh, Neil Young, a cover of Buffalo Springfield's Mister Soul. Mr. Soul. Mr. Soul. I I enjoyed that as well. I, yeah. I think if you're going to do a cover, especially if you're going to cover your own material, yeah, you should you should mess with it in some way. Yeah, doing a, a straight cover of your own material is uh, redundant yeah. at best. And my only my only disappointment with this is it's a little too straight. Yeah, it, it's more not less, weird enough. Yes, it has the same kind of. Um, it has the same arrangement, more or less, and yeah. the same the same um, uh, beat, more yeah. or less, yeah. and the same the same uh, melody, more or less. Yeah. Um, you know, but uh, it would have been it would have been nice to um, um, to see what he could have done. More of a deconstruction, right? And I wonder if this was a throwaway, or if he, or if it was something that they just did because they could. You know, it was something easy for them to do. Or... Maybe it was just to test out the equipment. He's like, we know this song. Let's just see if we can make these sounds on that machine. I don't know. And I, and I don't know either. Uh, do you know if that was part of his, um, not necessarily the, the uh, you know, the tripped out trans version. Yeah. But um, was Mr. Soul part of his regular, his regular sets? I don't know if he would do Buffalo Springfield songs that often, but I'm not as familiar with Neil. I'm sure sometimes he did. Um he did just put out that decade box set, like in '77, one of the first box sets that had Mr. Soul and other. Apparently, when he first presented the song to Buffalo Springfield, they're like, "Oh yeah, that's great. Uh, let's get Otis Redding to sing it because we don't like your voice." And Neil, as he did, you know, like several times during the two-year span in that band, quit, and so they had to let him sing it in order to get him to come back, but. And it was clearly um, one of their hits. Yeah, yeah. They didn't have a lot of songs, but that was, you know, after For What It's Worth, it's probably their, or maybe Bluebird, it's one of their bigger songs, so. Well, and this one contains, I th- like, really the first, on so far on the album, a full, a full Neil, classic Neil guitar solo. Yeah. Crunchy and noodly and, you know, awesomely meandering. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, do we want to finish the record off uh, with Like an Inca? Like an Inca, this sounds vaguely familiar. Condor to the praying Madison. 
That was fitting for the last song on the album. It was a very groovy tune, yeah. rocking, very Neil Young-like. It did have the island vibe going yeah. on. Uh, the lyrics were a little... Um, confused? Confused, um, yeah, both, um, both in terms of imagery and history. Nonetheless, um, nonetheless, it was pleasant enough tune, kind of out of place on, yeah. on this album. It, it, an odd way to end the album. I mean, he starts with one of those odd tunes, he ends with it. I don't know why he didn't try and mix them in a is, little is more. Is he hoping that people will forget that the, the stuff happened in the happened. middle? <laughs> Maybe. I mean, it is. I mean, on vinyl, it's eight <laughs> minutes long, and on CD, it's a nine and a half. So it's a, it's I, a long one here. So this particular album certainly was confusing to a lot of people when it came out, it, especially those who were a little more staid and not as willing to... Branch accept, out, right, experiment. Expe- expe- you know, um, um, accept, you know, deviation from their favorite artists and the like. But as it turns out, Neil really did have a, 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 a reason for, for, for doing this that was not merely, oh, here's the technology of the day. So maybe we should talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I know we, we teased it earlier, but apparently part of the reason that Neil got so hung up or fascinated with uh, the vocoder was his... Uh, Son, as we mentioned, uh, Ben, I think, had a rather severe cerebral palsy and was nonverbal. And he was having a hard time communicating with his child. And he wanted to show what it was like to have a hard time communicating with someone. So that's why he created this like electronic distance between the listener and his own voice in an attempt to... At least that's what he said later. I'm not sure how much of that is actually on the album since the lyrics are all either... Mr. Soul or Sis Crusher or right, I don't, I don't know We if Are the, In um, Control. I don't know if the <laughs> lyrics were, were you know, telling of that in particular, yeah. but I think that uh, you know, definitely the idea of imagining what, what his son must have been going to, you know, going through, trying to, to hear what people tr- were, were telling them, and all you hear is something that is, is, uh, is garbled and messed up and unclear. Yeah, unintelligible. And, and, and as you said, just, just you know, a lack of, of ability to communicate. I did think about this, if that, you know, if that was, you know, the, the primary motivation. If, if Neil Young had said this before releasing the album, I bet it would have been accepted. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It would have been he accepted only right away. admitted this, like, recently. It could so. be also, though, you know, given what little I know about his personality, perhaps he didn't want to use his son as a vehicle to sell records. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so so that, that is, you know, that is quite possible. But I'm not sure um, if, um, um, you know... If that was a sincere attempt, I'm yeah. not sure that would have been taken as crass con- consumer. Yeah, well, if in the 80s, it, it, you know, it might have still been, especially since he was seen as a 60s figure and those guys were supposed to be more authentic or, you know, rootsy or believe in the hippie ideals and dreams. So, you know. So the biggest problem that I have with this album is the way that the two records are smooshed together. Yeah. Because just listen to the, the last tune... I kind of miss the vocoder. Yeah. In fact, if there'd been just a little bit of that on the last tune with the live instruments and the live band, it would have been really cool and this kind of neat merger of yeah. of stuff, but it doesn't really 
do that. It's kind of the, the the live band songs are in really stark contrast to this other thing. And exactly, and you could have incorporated the whole chariots of the gods motif, right? Yeah. You know, with the uh, those Incas couldn't possibly have accomplished what they did. It must have been the result of ancient aliens, and yes. that certainly would have fit with the idea of. That's why Neil works for the History Channel now. Right, right, the, uh... <laughs> yes. <laughs> Aliens. Aliens. <laughs> yeah. Well, how, how far into Neil's career are we? Mm-hmm. I mean, he, Pretty... he, it's been a while. I mean, he started his solo career in like 69, 70. As, as... And he had, you know, his big hit was like Heart of Gold in 72. So he'd been... As problematic as this might be, I mean, it's not. It's a good album. I, it's a good listen. I like it. Yeah. Like, all the way through. It's got an interesting flow to it. It's, it, you know, it's not his best thing, but it's different, definitely different. The thing that's really, you know, and Scott, you're saying we're going to do more stuff about these Geffen records. Yeah. Think about where Neil is in his career. He's been really successful. And, like, anyone else who's had the same thing is not doing weird shit right yeah. now. They're, like, getting ready to go out on a play the hits, pay the bills tour. Yeah. And they, Neil is, is not having any of that crap, well, you know. Well, and At the same time, a lot of bands are jumping on the synthesizer electronic bandwagon but they're not doing it in such an odd way so blatantly and yeah most people would try and subtly ramp it up not right or or so you know you 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 know in the very near future i think or right around this time you'll you'll have uh david bowie doing let's dance yeah yeah. which certainly wasn't you know all it wasn't vocoder kind of you know computer sort of but it would definitely you're you're definitely veering away from any of the the kind of um you know rock band hippie sort of things that you know some of the things that are even the folky things that he was known for before and saying hey we're going to make hits now yeah and we're going to do it of According to the aesthetics of the 1980s, yeah. and and uh, you know I'm not ragging on David Bowie. I'm just no. using that as an example of it. Seemed like a lot all of, of the older acts 60s were artists were in the, you know, yeah. the 80s. Heck, even even um, George Harrison. Yeah, Austin. George. <clears throat> What's Bob the, Dylan the Paul, put out that Empire Burlesque album? <clears throat> that is just there's all the what is it coming up? What's the Paul McCartney one? With oh, the, uh, coming up. With, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was that's, from 80. Yeah, that's uh, not subtle. No, no. That, <laughs> yeah, McCartney too. That album is kind of similar to this. And no vocoder, but a lot of synthesizers on that couple of. So if you had to choose, Neil either finished a whole album of synth tracks, so it wasn't just six songs; it was a whole album, or he put out the Island in the Sun record. A, which would you rather hear? And B, which would sell better? Because. Well, I don't care which one would sell better. It's yeah. Like, impossible. yeah, it's yeah. impossible to tell now what would have sold yeah. better then. But uh, oh, the, like the, the synth like, one, man, yeah, yeah. it yeah. might have actually. I think part of why this didn't do so well is people heard the first and the last Neil songs, and sort of people who liked that didn't like the rest, and people who didn't like that didn't like the it rest. Seems so. like he's trying. He's placating the. He's the listener, he's, he's, and it's like half like, See, half, I'm, yeah. I'm back. I'm here. I'm I'll give here. you what I'm you still, want if yeah. you like me. Yeah. And it wasn't like it wasn't like uh, you know say say um, John Lennon's Double Fantasy yeah right where where you have one side of this and another side of that right it, yeah I mean it it is kind of like two albums but put together in a in a musically incoherent way yeah they aren't melded at all <laughs> I mean a, he could have put one on one side is, and the other on the other side or he could have you know yeah, back yeah, and yeah, forth yeah. but having it sort of bookended like that is just this is like a bizarro Neil Young Spotify playlist yeah yeah gone amok um <laughs> yeah and, and I, I feel like he could have used another couple of months to read the manuals on how to run all it yeah that, that, yeah, that drum machine and this, and like 
it really does seem like they, you know, pressed. I know we're we're some years from these being really ubiquitous, but you know, a Radio Shack Casio keyboard and hit yeah, like one of the demo thing. tracks and talked over it on a vocoder. Yeah, but. I don't know. It's, it's also it's very interesting. It's. I mean, it certainly feels sincere. It doesn't seem like something the record company was like pushing him to do. <laughs> no, yes, and it seems like, as it turns out, it was the exact thing they would not have pushed him to do. Yes, yes. Unlike the other artists we just mentioned. Yes, yes, I'm sure. So, um, I guess, overall, just yay or nay on this album, we, we saying trans is... Are we transphobic, I guess, is the... <laughs> I, I'd say a qualified yay. I we think, made I think it all you, the way here. In that, I know. Yeah. I want to say this. If you have Sit any appreciation while, for huh? Neil Young, I think I think that this is worth listening to. Yeah, yeah. for sure. I, I like it. I like it a lot. I just got, again, it's got a good flow as an album. Uh, it's very of its time. Yes. And it's very... Well, it was trying to be ahead of its time, which usually is what makes things the most dated. It's, it's very Neil Young giving a middle finger to maybe all of us. Yes. But yes. especially his record label. But it, it'll get worse. It'll get worse. Yeah. But um, <laughs> trust me, this is a teaser for upcoming episodes. I'm not sure when we'll get to them, but he, yeah, he gets worse. Keep up the good work, Neil. Yes. So anyway, I guess that will do it for this week. My name is Scott Livingston. I'm Logan Renard. Matthew Marr. We do humbly ask that you take a minute and go into whatever podcasting application you're currently enabling and uh, rate us, give us a review, subscribe, let us know you're out there so we know that we're not crazy and just talking to ourselves. We do appreciate that. We are on Instagram. Not that there's a lot to see yet, but we're there. We have a website that's being worked on upstairs as we speak. We have a Twitter account at D Outliers. Um, I don't think we've tweeted anything either, but we we are young. Heartache to heartache. Um, we have a website. We have a, an email address. If you have any suggestions or uh, ideas for other albums you'd like us to cover, it's uh, detoursandoutliers at gmail.com. And tune in next week to find out who this artist is. If hope is lost and it's all